Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. We are conversations with inspiring people about how they manage their mental health. My name is Sophia Hatsis. I am the host of the show and I get the privilege of bringing you these conversations every week. We speak to people from all walks of life, like Gotcha for Life founder Gus Wallen. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I truly believe that vulnerability is a new way to lead. There's stuff that we do that is good, and there's stuff that we just don't know what we're doing. It's nothing wrong with being human and explaining that to the people that you love. Episodes drop on Monday, so make sure you're subscribed and you're the first to know when they're available. Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. We are conversations with inspiring people about their mental health. And today I'm joined by Damien Tomlinson, who is a commando, an actor, an athlete. He wears so, so many hats. Damien, welcome. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, thank you. I should have said Survivor, former Survivor contestant as well, but there are so many different parts to your story and I'm so thrilled to have you. I've been um, an admirer of yours from afar for a long time, so Thank you for taking the time to chat to us today. I um, I wanted to get started at sort of the beginning with you, Damien, and I know that you're a Central Coast boy, a bit of a cricket fanatic, um, but you've also got a military history in your family. Were you aware of the significance of the military in your family when you were growing up or was that something you only became aware of as you got older? Yeah, I was very aware of it. Um, my... I think I lost my pop was the first grandparent that I lost. And um, I think like you'd watch the, the, you know, the Anzac Day March. It was, it used to be on the TV when we only had four channels, you know, you could, you'd sit there and we'd wait for the time that his troop went. And um, it was generally like a, a picture there of, of him was, was typically him were like sort of wearing medals and, you know, you'd hear different bits about, cause I was always interested in anything physical. So I always knew that he was he was a soldier. Um, I've only just recently found out that my grandfather on my father's side had joined the had joined the army, gone through all the training that he had to, and then they signed the peace treaty. So yeah, it was it was one of one of those things. But I always knew there was a strong a strong military history there. So yeah, it sort of became that kind of really influenced my choice. Um, I. When I was when I was young, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was kind of like my own worst enemy, you know. I just wouldn't stay. I've got I'm a bit of an an ADHD case, um, so I'd sort of find one thing, go hard at it, and then lose interest, then go a different way, and sort of just not stay on track with something that I needed to do. And when I was young, I looked at. I kind of thought everything was over. I didn't pay enough attention in year 11 and 12. I was doing really well at school. I wanted to study at university. Um, that's following in dad's footsteps. He's got a couple of degrees on his wall. One's a master's. And I just was sort of lost and a bit discouraged after that. Um, you know, and I sort of wanted something. I was trying to find that thing that suited me. You know, I was reasonably physical. I, you know, I was... I would like to think that I was strong mentally. Um, when I look back, but as a kid, I probably wasn't. Um, but yeah, it was like, I, and I looked at it was literally looking at the picture of my granddad when I was sitting next to mum's computer trying to work out what I want to do. That had me look over the army website, and it just everything shifted from there. So you could have just gone into the army, but you decided to be a commando and go into the toughest training that there possibly could be. Um, 
What do you recall about that time and that experience? Because I could imagine going into that kind of training is just another level of mental and physical strength. Yeah. I mean, it's designed to be really stressful. Um, see, I think, I think part of it was like, it was always sort of, it was like I had a chip off my shoulder, I guess. I was always looking for a way to like prove myself. How can I prove that? You know, I'm I'm worth it. You know, when you're young, you you do as you're growing up, you run into a little wall of you haven't got, you haven't been successful at this, and all of a sudden you think your life's over. You're like, okay, so now I am this. And you're like, man, you're 19 years old. You don't know shit about anything. Like, calm down. And I think all of those sort of had a cumulative effect to the time where I sort of thought, no matter what it takes, I'm gonna pass this. I know that there's a really low percentage of people that can do it, but no matter what happens, no matter what I have to do, how I have to do it, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat this. You know, and if I don't, I've literally like physically got to be stretched out. You know, in my mind, I knew I was smart enough to do any of the like the the IQ based tasks that were there. You know, and it was just a matter to me. So it was just this sort of meat and potatoes of conditioning, and I really liked. Through the training cycle, I like the fact that you continually push boundaries that if you were to explain to someone what you were doing, you would go, that's, that doesn't really sound like you're going to be good to go after three hours of carrying a pack to do that. I don't think you're going to be able to turn around and do this. But after the three hours when you know you've got to do it and there's only one way home, at the end of that, you start sort of rejigging the way that your mind thinks about challenges and things that are put in your road you learn to deal with pain in a different way you learn to like do all of these different things and it's essentially built on unachievable tasks so through the selection process essentially they're breaking you down and breaking down ideals of your personality essentially searching for particular personality traits like when you if you haven't slept in two days and you know you're not going to make a task are you going to start pointing the blame finger at people or are you going to just get ahead and do what you're doing you know are you a team player are you the type of guy who's going to pick the guy up next to you or are you the type of guy who knows there's only 15 spots if he falls down that's one less person I'm competing against you know what I mean because the guy you want's the one who's going to pick him up because in the middle of a war zone you know, <laughs> the guy next to you is ultimately the one who's most valuable to you he's the guy who's going to keep you alive you know it's did you, they, people essentially, the way, the best way of describing it with the military, and I love this, is you know how people say like that whole saying, uh, your candle doesn't blow brighter if you burn out, blow out someone else's. The fact of that is if you imagine the military's job is just to light up an area, that means that the person next to his candle, you want to do everything you can to have it burn brighter. You know what I mean? Because they're doing the same thing to you and the overall flow and effect is everyone is their best self. Yeah. And that's it's one of the really like it's one of the only places I've seen that type of mindset in action to the point where like it's it's a culture, it's a cultural thing, mm. which it just it was awesome to be part of, you know, it's like and it's a the flow and effects of that. And ultimately that idea of um brotherhood and burning brighter and someone actually physically picking you up was what saved your life, um, which we're gonna to get to. But First, I want to talk to you a little bit about Fiji and you lost someone quite dear to you um, in a helicopter crash. Can you talk us through what that experience, was that sort of your first insight as to like, oh, shit, I'm 
I'm actually in this. Well, I remember going over and getting on the boat and part of the sort of world was this, there was this smoker's deck when smoking was still a thing. Um, And everyone would sort of go out there and not necessarily all have a cigarette, but it was the social area. It was kind of like the pub of the ship where you could just stand there and talk to people and everyone's doing their thing. I remember standing out there one day and you just, they were doing these runs with the choppers where one will cover, the other comes down and lands on the back deck. So it's, and then they fly up, do a big circle, come back in and do the same thing. So the idea is snipers cover the deck while troops jump off. But it was more training for pilots and they just had a couple of snipers sitting on board each one. And I didn't know at that stage that Josh was on it. But um, so they're doing the drills and they used to do stuff like that reasonably regularly. And we're sitting there and you just hear this bang, you know, well, bang. And then all this stuff, dude, like debris kind of flew into the sky. And then I hear like <laughs> this, it sounded like it was something out of a movie, but I'm pretty sure this guy had been waiting his whole military career to be able to say it. He's literally like, take cover like that. And I'm like, okay. So you kind of like, I remember squatting down next to a set of stairs and then I saw him take off up towards the back part of the deck. There was a communications sort of deck near the smokers thing. I chased him up there. We're looking and he's holding his arms back with like two fingers up. And I'm like, right, he's got, what's he doing? So I went, looked over the side and he was counting people popping up out of the water. Like, and when you're done, it was pretty scary at that moment because when you do the, the helo training, they take you down, splash you, spin you upside down and stuff like that. You've got to escape it. You've got to do it blindfolded and all that sort of stuff. But this, it was gone. There was no bubbles. Like it was literally, and that was in that stage, like bang, we're down. He's gone. Run, let's look. He's holding two fingers up. And then there was still, we were only up to the third of six people that popped up on our side of the boat and like the boat, the ship. People in the Navy would absolutely have heart failure. You called it a boat? Well, I, I, I think my first thought when I saw it was there were more than six people on that chopper. Wow, and you sort of just have that. Okay, and then an alarm went off. We all got locked down, and um, we didn't know until, like, they gave us a brief, I think, that night that the pilot had got out but had died on the deck, um, and... We didn't really get, I think that someone else was being killed, but then they go into like a lockdown where everyone's family have to be notified. There's like a huge protocol that goes into when someone's um, killed. When someone's killed in action, there's a big, just for the family, respect for the family and everything like that. So, I mean, on the flip side of that, that cut phone lines out. That cut everything. So the daily call with the missus or the family or whatever, that's gone. Um, You know, you just had... The flow-on effects were pretty big, and I remember sitting there, and we literally, they didn't tell us or show us. We saw it on the news. We were sitting, we were down in the accommodation. I just like, you know when you get those feelings, you know, and you're just like, I don't want my gut to be right. I really don't. And then you look up and then, yeah, Josh's face came up on it. It was like, (sighs) Uh. And, like, it's, it doesn't feel anything like what you assume it's going to. You know what I mean? There's not, like when it's real, you know when you imagine something, you sort of, you can, some things you can overimagine and you make them worse than they are and then others you can't really get there because it's not a real emotion, imagining something. Like that was sort of what 
it was like, yeah, I think from that moment on, I was just like, I just, what are we doing? There's parts of it that were just part of the job. You know, you're young, that's no excuse. I just wasn't emotionally or mentally like disciplined enough to deal with Hmm. the situation that I was in. That, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was a pretty, pretty oddly dark place. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did lose a friend and, um, thank you for sharing that. I think, um, it must be really hard to speak about these things. And, you know, I'm also going to ask you a a question that is potentially also going to be difficult to talk about, which is about the loss of your limbs. And, um, you were deployed to Afghanistan and you were hit with an IED And I know that you don't remember much about that day and that time and you've sort of had to piece together a few things based on what other people have told you. So we were doing a, um, like in the Special Forces, you act on credible intelligence and then you do uh, sort of surgical is a word that gets thrown around, sort of of jobs to isolate and um, find, fix, finish targets. Uh, So we'd got intel that there was a, something happening in two compounds down the bottom corner of a, of a village in Helmand province. And um, we're basically moving. Our platoon were just going to support snipers. We had a reasonably, like, easy night. Um, it's funny now we say that. But the other platoon with, you know, it's one of those rare jobs where you, you kind of work with your heroes. You work with guys who've got reputations that are just larger than life. You know what I mean? They're just... Mm-hmm. You've heard stories about these guys. It's kind of like, you know, you're just literally rolling around with a guy and they're the only stories that matter. It doesn't, it didn't, at that stage, it didn't matter who kicked the winning goal in, you know, the 87 AFL grand final or who'd scored the winning try in NRL grand final. It was like, man, did you hear what this guy, you know, when your life is on the line, when you're literally playing for keeps, did you hear what this guy did? Like, and you've got just a collection of those people who in the most extreme circumstances have stood up and done amazing things. So it's, yeah, I mean, Cam Baird, you know, the um, 100th VC winner, probably should have won the 97th before he won the 100th. Probably should have too, but that's that's a different conversation that you don't want to ask people about. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so they were walking on a target. We're, we're moving up into the Overwatch spot that we're in and um, my car was the fifth in line and we're not sure how it happened, but... My car triggered an IED, which was an old, like, Russian anti-tank mine. So it blew, without getting too technical, explosives, you can shape where the force of a charge goes, depending on how it's how it's packed and built. Um, the standard IED is just like a, you know, like I guess your barley bombs and your things like that were all pretty just man-made, improvised explosive devices, which is what IED stands for. Mine was more like deliberate it was a an anti-tank one so it's designed to stop a tank um in my when my vehicle ran over it I was driving the vehicle and my right leg was gone it's probably two-thirds of the way up um my left leg was really just folded and shattered the whole way to about halfway up my shin my right arm was bent in this weird s shape sort of thing two bones in that hand that wrist and the elbow was pretty oh, wow. badly. Yeah, so it's a it's a mm. real mess. It's gone through a lot of operations, but then it's um, I think from that from that moment, you sort of every single person on the ground knows. Okay, cool. We'll 
there's going to be a threat because people know where we are. Yeah. We're all under night vision, so we've got to do what we can. Then when you go, okay, cool, we've had someone really badly injured, we've got to go to white light. You're basically a target. You know, you're just a big target on the side of a hill. Um, so, yeah, it was all those sort of external factors plus the fact you know, I was hit pretty bad. There was a lot of stuff missing. My nose was sort of shattered, which is kind of good because we built another one, which is it's so much better than the original. And it's not good. It just shows you how bad the original nose was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we went through the process of, you know, 56 minutes I was on the ground for, which mm-hmm. is that's a, that's a long time. Like I think training-wise you can train people to do particular movements, you know, you can train people to do stuff, but you can't train to do those movements under the complexity of having, you know, someone's literal life in your hands. You know, every single decision you make from that moment on could be the difference between the living or dying. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty – it just still – it still blows my mind. Every time I talk about it, it just – it blows my mind that they, um, that they could do it. Mm. You know, that's – it's just a testament to guys who are well-trained type of, they're, ty- they're the type of guys. So it just proves that the selection process works. You know, they're picking, they're literally picking winners who are going to turn up when they need to, you know, mm-hmm. that are going to make the extraordinary look easy. It's just something that I'm just really, and that's the thing. I, I've never had to ask the question of why me, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of like a blessing. I've never had to go, Oh, geez, why? Like, you were in the most dangerous country at that stage on earth <laughs> doing one of the most dangerous jobs and something, you know, you had a day where the ball didn't bounce your way, it's going to happen. You know, I mean, it's a pretty risky type spot. So, yeah, I, I just kind of woke up and was like, you know, after a couple of days, like, okay, well, this is, how am I still alive? That's just mind-bending, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like it's, and then became sort of the job, the first task was walking again so that, you know, like it'd be the first thing the guys see when they get home. Absolutely incredible in terms of your recovery. And when it does come to that mental health aspect, and and I am mindful that we're running out of time quickly, but I just wanted to ask you as well, you know, how do you overcome the mental scars that would have been imprinted on your head during that time? Like how did you how do you manage your mental health now with that in mind? Like there's a one thing like the army drums integrity in you. You know, and integrity is not just being honest with everyone else around you and being honest when you're asked something to tell the truth. Something that I always I always found it hard when I was younger, but looking in the mirror and being blindly honest about why you've made a choice or why you've done something is difficult, but it's a skill that you can work on. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of finding out what makes you tick as a person and then working with it because, you know, they're not always going to be perfect traits you know they they just start that's kind of the hand you were dealt it's your job to play that hand as best you can I am competitive you know that's that's one of my key drivers as a as a person I love being competitive but it's got to be something that's worth being competitive over um and I sort of think for the whole time that was me against the situation I mean Mm. You know, I'd, so there's small victories that you can have each day because you did something that gave you an edge over it or you overcame something that people thought you weren't going to be able to do or there's all these little drivers that use, I sort of would use as triggers to have me working through it. So 
And to me, sitting back and going, all right, you got me, is that's losing. And I, it's not something I'd want to do. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that's not to say that there haven't been, there's been plenty of days where I've been like, this is just, like, is, is it too much today type thing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then that's a loop. Mm-hmm. You know, you never get to the stage of, is it too much in a day? You know what I mean? Like, is it too much comes at the end of days and days of the same thing that continually beats you down, which is, you know, now with the sort of looking at it, it's more not choose. I look at it as not choosing to get off that loop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The loop hasn't beaten you. You've let a loop beat you. You know, you didn't take the chance to do something which could walk you away from it, you know. I mean, I, I remember at Bondi when I was living down there, I would walk along the Esplanade mm. and I would sort of think, and this is especially when I wasn't doing, like, too well. On the outside, I was doing great. I was still mm. smiling. I'm still living a life. I'm doing all that. But I would walk along the Esplanade and you'd see people and 99% of them, you're walking in a pair of shorts, didn't look twice. Mm. You know what I mean? And you're like, so physically, if it doesn't matter to anyone... It's just in here. So work on in here and then then move on. I am so grateful for you to come and join us, Damien. And um, I really appreciate you sharing those difficult things, but also sharing some amazing inspiration with us. Happy days. Cheers to that. Take care. Thank you for listening. Episodes drop every Monday morning and you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Remember to take 10 and check on the man you love today.